I had to, you know, recognize that I needed to go deep and understand my the business so that this vision could flourish, so that we could create jobs, and that I couldn't be the person getting in my own way. And welcome back to Inside Sweet Beginnings, our podcast that gives you an inside look at how we run our social enterprise. Sweet Beginnings has been creating transitional jobs and producing honey for over 16 years. And our CEO, Brenda Palms Barber, has learned a lot about social enterprise in that time. In this episode, Brenda shares some of the challenges she's had to overcome, how those lessons apply to other social enterprises, and what's next for Sweet Beginnings. Hi, Brenda. Good morning. Hi, Alice. Good morning. How's it going? So good. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Good. Yeah, it's good to see you for our wrap-up episode for this series of the podcast, at least. Yes. Yeah, it's been a wonderful journey. Yeah. So I don't have much of an intro here. We're just looking back at the 15 years that Sweet Beginnings has been in business and talking about the successes and challenges along the way. And from there, highlighting any best practices that might be useful for other social entrepreneurs and social enterprises. So let's start with the challenges, I think. And as you say, kind of the bee stings that you've encountered along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What comes to mind? I'll let you take it away. Oh my goodness. Uh, There's so many. (laughs) There's so many. Uh, I think that at the very beginning, Sweet Beginnings, this concept wasn't taken seriously as a business. (laughs) It's not natural necessarily to think about beekeeping as a means by which to teach people who've been formerly incarcerated, you know, how does that equip them with tools and skills to work in the workplace? It just doesn't seem right. How does that work? And so I understand why people initially were so like politely questioning, is this woman, you know, has she lost her mind or not? (laughs) You know, and so I think that that was the challenge is that people would say, well, how does beekeeping prepare a person for work? And then the other question was, well, what, what kind of jobs will beekeeping transition a person to? What, what we didn't emphasize perhaps enough were the skills that people would gain by running and operating a small business and all that goes with it. Everything from customer service to, yes, working with bees, but also processing the skincare products and extracting honey, jarring it, sealing it, boxing it, you know, working with UPS and other mailers on proper shipping, how to manage inventory. I mean, we just didn't talk about enough about the type of skills that people would gain by working in a small business. Mm. And so I think that that's where people had concerns like, well, if they're out there working in an apiary all day long, what is that going to do? But the reality is any kind of work is important for a person who hasn't had a lot of work experience to understand and gain work ethic, to become acclimated to the routine of work every day. And that was really a very important and very basic part of what Sweet Beginnings was doing. It was a reason to get up in the morning, to show up on time, to work with others, 
to take instruction from supervisors, to produce something that was good and that was, you know, part of a market-driven strategy to address the needs of those who've been incarcerated and their, their need for employment. So I think that not being taken seriously as a business, I mean, I actually had some people tell me that, well, that's a nice idea, but that's a hobby. You know, beekeeping is a hobby. It's yeah. it's not a business. And so I think what's great is, you know, 15, 16 years later, we can say that it's certainly beyond a hobby. It, it's actually a revenue generating business that has hired over 500 men and women who have essentially not returned to prison. So we really are proving that we could be a business, but a business with a very important social purpose. How long do you think it took like for you to figure out that you needed to adjust the messaging and emphasize kind of the business aspect more or for people to come around and mm-hmm. look at the outcomes mm-hmm. and see that it was viable? Right. For people that had the time and the interest, you know, grant makers and others, it they they certainly wanted and needed time and we would host lots of site visits and invite people inside the hive to see what was going on and then they could see the production they could see people in their beloved t-shirts working together getting orders and filling those orders and seeing that the work was real you have to invite people into the hive right i think that mm-hmm. people have to see it and then they also have to experience the product itself and when you try a B-Love body cream or a lotion or our hand and foot balm or a lip balm, you're like, oh, wait a minute, this this is high quality. This is silky smooth. This is rich in viscosity. This is, it smells great. It's light and clean. They may know what they're doing. You know, this, yeah. this is a business. It's not a hobby. So I think that was important for people to realize that, that that's why I really focus a lot on making sure that the quality of our products are top shelf, um, that they are the very best that they can be for so many reasons. But one is to take our business seriously. And then when you have a quality product, people will return and purchase your product. But then it's also important, as I've said before, that second chance people or how we've labeled them as second chance, giving them second chances, are associated with first rate quality product. It's important. So it took time, indeed, probably 15 years. <laughs> no, I, I would say, you know, it, it certainly has been slow in the coming, you know, but the race is given to those, you know, who aren't swift, but to those who endure. That was one. Another, another really important and early on sting was understanding the importance of who you partner with. And mm. I think that... That was probably one of the most difficult experiences that I've had in partnerships. I assumed that the group of, of beekeepers that we worked with initially, we were all on the same page because the honeybees matter to us. We cared about honeybees, and but we cared differently. And so for the first couple of years working together was it was a joy. We established you know, a hundred hives and we were producing delicious, great tasting honey. 
outside of Chicago, which people didn't expect necessarily, you know, something sweet and good and delicious to come out of North Lawndale. Uh, but I love that it was an opportunity to change the narrative about our neighborhood and also, exp- you know, show what's possible. But the honey was fantastic, and we were working in in partnership. But um, Alice, I found out, you know, probably two and a half, three years into the partnership, that they had a very different expectation around bees from mine. And what I mean is, they were far more interested in developing a honey co-op where. Mm beekeepers from all over the city could come together and become a force for local honey in Chicago. And because we were the largest and continue to be the largest operator of apiaries in Chicago, they saw this as just an exciting opportunity to leverage all the talent of urban beekeepers in the city of Chicago. And to be fair, that was not my priority. My priority was to create a work experience for the men and women returning from incarceration that would help them become competitive employees in the future. And so Honey for Me was a means by which to equip these men and women with skills that would build their confidence, that would you know expose them to the various aspects of running a business that they could use in jobs for the future. So what happened is we eventually began to realize that we didn't have shared vision. And then there began to be more tensions that grew. And eventually we had to part ways. And so so that was a that was a big lesson and and it's it's tough because you know, partnerships mean that there are relationships that are involved. And to realize that uh, those relationships that we had established that were filled with hope and joy and promise, you know, that that fell apart. But the key is that we were able to continue to grow and to work with new folks that were much more in alignment with understanding what the real objective of our um, beekeeping is. Yeah. So So that's how you would get around that in the future, what other people should do when establishing partnerships to just be super clear at the outset what the end goal is. Absolutely. Be very clear about that because we both operated on a set of assumptions. And now when I go into partnerships, I'm like, okay, let's be very clear. What is what is important to you? What is the motivation for you entering into this partnership? And just being brutally honest so that you can be in alignment as you move forward or make a decision to not enter into that partnership until you can find the right partner that's in alignment with your goals. But my one of my mistakes was to think that I didn't need to understand the art and the science of beekeeping. I thought I could just contract with these beekeepers who cared about bees, knew bees, understood the cycle of life for bees and how to increase honey production. And that all I needed to do was to, you know, be nice to them and cut them a check. Mm -hmm. And that my focus was, of course, on creating a workforce development experience for these men and women that we were hiring. And that that was my expertise. That's what I brought to the table. And I I know that one of the most important things I learned was that you can't parcel out any aspect of your business until you understand it first, you know. So I was trying to lead a business that I didn't fully understand. And 
that's just not wise. And I had to learn beekeeping. I had to get out into the apiary, crack open a hive, understand what I was looking at, be able to identify the queen, look for mites. And I had to read a lot. You know, there's a, a beekeeping Bible, you know, called the bee and the, the honey bee in the hive. It's like six inches thick. <laughs> it's <laughs> huge. But I, I literally had to read that entire thing to understand American fowl brood and to know the different types of diseases or life cycles, um, different body parts and how far bees will travel to collect honey, what honey, how, how it's produced within their body and, and nectar and water and temperature. I just needed to understand beekeeping. And I think that that was, that was something I, I really didn't sign up for as a workforce development nonprofit executive. <laughs> right. I'm like, what am I doing out here in this, you know, in this apiary, you know, cracking open a hive and, and trying to look at these various aspects. But it was important that I understood the business so I could help guide others and that I, you just can't talk about something that you don't understand. And that was, that was probably a really important lesson is that you just, you got to know your business the good, the bad, the all. The next one is really don't give up ownership of your intellectual property. Our original beekeepers wanted to retain trademark ownership of, of Sweet Beginnings. And, and I was really surprised to hear that they, were, that they thought they should have that level of ownership when the concept of what we were doing was, was my intellectual property. Right. And so here's the other piece that I learned was I allowed someone else to submit my paperwork for applying for the trademark for Sweet Beginnings and for Beeline, which was our original name. And because I didn't have a lot of experience with the legal side of setting this up, and this group did, I thought, well, good, we're in partnership. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you helping to take the lead on helping us legally establish ourselves. But then as the relationship began to deteriorate over time, it became clear that, you know, they wanted to, they felt they had a level of ownership in, in, in what Sweet Beginnings is, and they were always paid as consultants. So, of course, I saw that very differently. Then it wasn't until I had an attorney to demand that they turn over um, the ownership that I saw that it had been listed in another name and not oh, under wow. the name, not under the name of the North Lawndale Employment Network. So, again, there was a lot of trust that I naively gave away. And I think that that's why I will tell people today, you know, sit down with an attorney first, discuss what your legal structure should be, make sure that you tell them what your long-term vision is for the business, and they will help you decide what the structure, the legal structure that best suits your vision should be, and then also will protect your intellectual property. And so that was... That was a, another really, you know, a big sting there. But luckily you had a really strong legal team. I have an excellent uh, legal team. I've always been really fortunate to have really strong attorneys that support our work. And so, but I think that that is critical to someone thinking about launching a business. Um, we think that sometimes, you know, attorneys can be very, very expensive and they are, but there is no price to your intellectual property. You know, you have to protect your business and you have to protect your ideas. 
And so it's important to work with attorneys who know how to do that, not, you know, your cousins, brothers, sisters, friends, <laughs> attorney, right? But yeah. actually go. And if, if your organizational structure is one that's nonprofit, then you can get most of that work done pro bono. Mm-hmm. We didn't. I mean, I, we didn't have attorneys at the beginning. At the oh, onset. I see. So it wasn't until I wasn't able to get a copy of the trademark that I began to wonder what's going on. And that's when I was able to secure D.L. Piper as a law firm to help us figure out what was going on. So they did a, a cease and assist um, letter, you know, demanding that they turn over the, and that's when we were able to learn. And from there, we learned how to, we developed the structure and became, see, a, so that we, came after and so the became, first. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. beginnings became a legal entity after that. Okay. Prior to that, for the first three or four years, three years of our operations, we were really operating as a program. Mm-hmm. Right. You mentioned the original name being Beeline. Can you tell oh, me about that? Boy, <laughs> sure. Briefly. You got that. You got that. Yeah. So the very first name we came up with was Beeline. And we loved Beeline because it was making a beeline for change. Mm. You know, it was a yeah. beautiful concept that people were, you know, getting ready to do something different. And and it was just a beautiful metaphor. And so again, about three years in to the work, we started to realize that um, once we had a, a website and people could purchase our products online, you know, we were having a small e-commerce effort. You know, we we realized that people from around the country were starting to purchase our products, and that meant that we were no longer um, sort of in compliance with Illinois state um, regulations. We never expected to initially. Um, grow beyond just a, a local um, product. And then when we realized that, we were like, well, we've got to take care of that. So we went and made sure that there wasn't a trademark, you know, for Beeline anywhere else around the country as we were getting ready to expand and grow. And we did a search and learned that Procter & Gamble had already secured the name Beeline nationally. So we're like, yikes, we don't want, we can't go up against Procter & Gamble. Um, They actually had reserved the name for a hair lightener. And I thought, oh, you're kidding. That's it. So, So then we had to go back to the drawing board and our board of directors at the time for Sweet Beginnings we spent probably about six months going through a process of, wow. you know, other names, what can we do? And just, you know, it felt bad after we had already established Beeline, you know, that we would have to come out with a new name and start all over and all that. But one of our board members, a wonderful woman by the name of Faye Sanat, she was like, why don't we just change a couple of the letters and make it be love? We're like, be love. And at first, I didn't embrace it. I thought <laughs> it sounded a little like kind of hippie, you know, be, you know, be love. And I'm like, what is, you know, be love? But wow, it's turned out to be the right name, you know, for all the right reasons. It's, you know, it's just not about the individuals. It's also about bees, too. We have to love our honeybees. Honeybees produce honey, which is bee love. For us as humans, we love our honey, but it's also about, you know, be loving even toward Mm. people who need second chances. Be love, you know, we all need to feel loved. And so suddenly it just seemed to grow on us. And 
and we were able to continue to have the same look, two different letters. So people would recognize, you know, our brand and go, something might be different, but <laughs> but they're not quite sure. Um, and so it just really, really worked out very well. And so now we have trademarked that nationally and we're, we're all set. Yes. <laughs> so the lesson there for other social enterprises would be to, I guess, think about scope when you're starting out. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, decide if you want, you know, what the scale of your business is. Even though we thought eventually we would look at pollinating our model as a either as a franchise or as a licensed business agreement, we we always felt we would definitely go nationally and maybe even internationally, but not as soon as we did, right? So so I think it's a good idea to to think big and long and you know, far ahead and put those place those legal components in place so that you you're not limited by your growth. Mm-hmm. Your growth isn't limited, rather. Even beyond your imagination. <laughs> you know, another area that we certainly got stung on quite a bit, and I've shared this with other social enterprises that have struggled with this as well, is distribution. And around this, I this area, I think it's important to fail forward fast and then pivot and try another uh, way forward. So third-party distribution contracts, it proved to be a big setback for us. In fact, because our business is so small that they're really we became a low, low priority for our distribution partners, and we've tried more than one. And so when you say distribution partners, that means the stores that are receiving the honey yes. to sell, right? And then the di- distribution service is just the truck and person that's getting it there and putting it on the shelf. One was sort of a, just a smaller organization that focused on small brands, and the other was a larger distributor. And we really got lost, you know, with their, they just didn't push our products out in a timely manner. They didn't get the attention that they deserved on Beloved didn't get attention that they deserved on the shelf. I would often go to some of the stores and see that Beloved hadn't been ordered, that there was maybe one jar on the shelf, or that things might be sticky, you know, or that even, you know, if it said local product, that it might be cricket or, you know, or empty. The signage wasn't there. And those were the areas that our distribution partners were responsible for. And so we had to pull out of that agreement. We terminated it. We do have, it's important to have clauses in your contracts that allow you to terminate fairly quickly within 30 days. And so we did. And then we just decided to invest the money that we'd invested in, in that agreement with a full-time position. So we were able to create another full-time job for someone who's served their time and they have a driver's license. They were able to drive the van. They're able to, you know, develop rapport at the loading docks with all of our stores and maintain, you know, the inventory, clean it up if it needs to be cleaned up and, and just really take pride in taking something that we've developed, you know, to the, you know, from the apiary to the shelf and making sure that that presentation is everything that it should be professionally. So it turned out in the long run that it took us a minute to realize that we had the ability and the capacity and the 
inspiration to do that work ourselves. I do know that as we continue to grow and we do use UPS, you know, to deliver across the country, but, and we've had some real challenges with UPS too. Sorry, UPS, if you're listening, but we've, (laughs) we've learned, you know, that shipping honey has, you know, we've gotten a lot better, but starting out, we had a lot of, of loss product damaged, you know, broken upon delivery that we'd Mm -hmm. have to figure out. So we actually brought UPS on site and said, help us figure out how we can best wrap our honey and what product should we be using? And they were fantastic. So the good side of it is they helped us figure, you know, figure out how we could do our shipping and, and make sure our honey arrived without, you know, any damage at all. One of the things that I learned was that everything will take longer than you ever want it to. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's just, you know, there's a, I think we want solutions and we want to put action in place and make things happen right away. And what I've learned is that it, it literally, things take time to evolve and that so it's important to be patient on one hand, but it's also important that you never become complacent and sit back. You've got to stay impatient. You've got to still be on the edge, you know, make sure that you're leaning in because it can get really frustrating when things are slower, you know, whether it's your design element, whether it's establishing trademarks, whether it's getting into a particular store or not. It just, you know, growing a business, it just, everything takes longer than you ever think it will. And I've shared that with friends and we all laugh and all agree that it, everything takes longer. So, so don't feel like you're, you're off track, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if things are taking longer than you want. It's just that things take time. And, and what's interesting about that for me is that as I reflect a little bit more about sort of even honey and how it's produced, you know, it takes time for honey to cure once it's in the hive. You know, it's not ready today. It literally has to cure over time and that takes at least 20 to 40 days. And so, because if you eat honey before it's ripe, I mean, then then you can actually kind of get sick, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's really important that transformation takes time. And I think about that, not just with our honey, but with the men and women that we work with and that they'll make mistakes but things take time. And same thing with growing a business. It takes time. That's a beautiful metaphor. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So it was a sting though. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other the other thing that's important, it's just being honest about your your capacity, you know, being honest about your numbers. And being honest about what you need to know. I mentioned earlier that I read this book called The Hive and the Honeybee. And it's because I had to be honest and say, I don't know anything about beekeeping. And yet I'm running a bee, you know, a business that is very driven by bees and honeybees in general. So it's important to recognize, you know, where you have opportunities to learn and and to not be shy about it, you know. 
I came into this work as a workforce development professional. I did not come into this work as a beekeeper. I didn't come into this work as a skincare expert or honey. I had to learn a lot about just running a business in general and then specifically about the the actual products that we were producing. And so I have spent a lot of time, you know, building and leveraging partnerships that help build capacity, you know, whether it's working with employees at Boeing to help with business planning. I've participated in the Chicago Urban League's business incubator for entrepreneurs called Next One. I've spent time, you know, at the University of Chicago in their executive business program on product development. I mentored with um, Jennifer Henderson, who was the president of Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream, because they were one of the leaders in social impact businesses. I read a lot of different case studies, had lots of conversations with individuals, and I mentored for at least seven years with John Hansen, who was a master beekeeper. Mm. I had to you know, recognize that I needed to go deep and understand my the business so that this vision could flourish, so that we could create jobs and that I couldn't be the person getting in my own way, you know? Yeah. And so it was important that you're honest about what your skill sets are, where your passion, you know, where your skills are and where you need to build capacity. And I think I wasn't really... Ir- originally open to that. I just wanted to be able to sort of put the pieces of a puzzle together (laughs) uh, without really understanding the methodologies behind what we needed to do, but it's a business. And so you've got to, like I said, be honest. What do you need to know? Who can help you with your business planning? Who can help you with your financial models? You know, who, who, how are you going to you know, fund this, you know, where are you going to get the seed money, the capital to, to, to run and continue to operate the business? What are you defining as success? Mm-hmm. Answering those questions. So speaking of success, yeah, what nice. do you consider to be the biggest successes that Sweet Beginnings has had over the past 15 years? Survivability. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that, you know, we're still here. Yeah, we're still here. I mean, we're here 16 years later. Trust that most people didn't think we'd last a year, right? <laughs> so the fact that the business is still here is one. It says a lot about the fact that, that we have customers that, that care and respect our product, number one. That, we couldn't be here if the product wasn't you know, a driver. You know, and we see our sales increasing year over year. This has been our strongest revenue generating year to date. And that's even in the midst of a a pandemic, you know, our online sales continue to be strong and so happy about that. So grateful for that. So the fact that we're still here, it's like the fact that people like our product, you know, that we do have repeat business and that that's important that we are in a national retail chain you know, for our honey 
is is pretty remarkable and that's important. That means a lot, again, because if there's demand, then we can continue to hire men and women who need this kind of work experience. That we've hired over 500 men and women to date brings me joy and a very big smile on my face. Because, <laughs> I mean, wow, you know, 500 people had an experience that they never thought they would and that they weren't quite necessarily ready, you know, for other employment experiences because maybe they'd been incarcerated for 17 years and they needed time to reacclimate to society, let alone a job, you know? So to know that we've been a sweet beginning, you know, for those individuals really, really is why we exist. And that means so much to me. And then the statistic that we've maintained over these 16 years is, you know, at, at most, less than 10% of the men and women that we've hired through Sweet Beginnings have returned to prison. And that's a pretty remarkable, you know, statistic, you know, and it's been as low as less than 4% mm-hmm. at times. Yeah, so that's incredible. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I'm really, you know, proud of that. I also find that our successes mean a lot, you know, to society as a whole. So when you get an article in the Tribune or the Sun-Times, it helps to amplify a narrative that people need to hear about a population of folks that most of us have either, you know, are afraid of or have not had much contact with or have just huge assumptions about. And to see that something good um, and positive, that's so important you know, when you can attract the attention of like People Magazine, you know, that want to lift up your story because Alicia Keys, you know, has given her her staff, you know, B-Love products for Christmas. That's pretty cool yeah. because it tells people that there's something good and positive that can happen when people are given second chances, right? That's pretty awesome. And, you know, or to have the Obama Foundation come out and tell your story, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a cool video. It really is. And CBS Evening News and locally, you know, NBC and ABC. So so every time there's a story, it's an opportunity for us to rewrite the narrative about both North Lawndale as a community and about the men and women that we touch who really don't want to be different. They just want to be equal. It's a pretty amazing, I I think those are amazing successes. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So tell me about what is next for Sweet Beginnings in this coming year and for NLAN overall. Well, one of the things we're really excited about is to finally have an actual production facility for Sweet Beginnings. Yay! Long time of the coming. (laughs) But we we have a new building that we've acquired we're in the process of its construction right now. And it's exciting to know that we have, you know, about almost 15% of the building is dedicated to 
um, the operations and storage of, of Sweet Beginnings that will actually, through our Worker Bee Cafe, we will also have a retail space that people can walk in and purchase Bila products, which we've not been able to do in a formal way, which is so exciting to us. Um, I'm looking forward to having, you know, a rooftop apiary and we're also going to have an apiary across the street that we can do tours and educational workshops and invite young people to come and taste honey right out of a honeycomb and to really occupy space around urban education that Mm -hmm. we haven't been able to in the past. So I'm very excited about accepting, you know, I feel like we've been reluctant urban environmentalist, (laughs) (laughs) but um, we've accepted it and we're honored, you know, to help people experience the important role that honeybees play in our ecosystem. You know, that a third of our food supply is dependent, it's reliant on honeybee pollination. You know, that's important for people to understand. And so to be able to talk about the science and the art of beekeeping is really important in a community like North Lawndale. And we want to be a destination location. We want people to come out and, you know, put on a beekeeping suit and, and experience that with us. So there's, so there's that. We're hoping we're in some conversations with a, a national chain that we would love to um, have our products distributed, our skincare products, not the honey, but our skincare. So we'll keep you posted on, <laughs> on, on how that evolves. But that would be important around, you know, one, telling our story again, but two, also having our products in places where people expect to buy and expect to experiment with skincare. Skincare is a very personal kind of experience, right? And most of us love a particular a brand that we've been with for years. And so to be in a place where people can experience our product and decide, wow, this smells good, this feels good. And there's this cool social social impact behind it. Let's let me try it. You know, so I'm excited about being able to open up more opportunities for people to experience be love. Yeah. Looking forward Beautiful. to that. And that building is coming later in 2020, right? I think the third week of July, we'll start the construction on the building and we anticipate being finished around the middle of December. Awesome. So yeah. as we beginning to get to new home. New home, a bigger home. Yeah. yeah. You know, and we'll be able to have storage and, oh my gosh. And people can look in, right, at the and, production and facility. It's kind of at the center house. of everything. Yeah. It is. We want people to be able to look in and see what's happening and and also what's possible for them. You know, for those especially who who are looking for employment opportunities, for them to be able to take a peek inside this window and go, oh, I could do that. You know, that's important to us too. Yeah. Exciting. Exciting times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell the other thing that's important about this new space is that it will allow us to actually hire more people and create more permanent positions. So that's the goal too. It's not just to scale production, but it's to scale the number of people that we're creating permanent jobs for. Yeah. Do you have a vision of what Sweet Beginnings will look like in 10 years? Like for a decade in this building? We're in every airport. We're in high-end skincare products. We are probably hiring a hundred people a year. That's the goal. Wouldn't wow. that be amazing? Yeah. You could get to another 500 milestone in five years. Yeah. <laughs> pretty awesome. 
Yeah, that would be awesome. We would love that. That's, you know, it's unfortunate that the pipeline, you know, out of prison continues to be what it is. You know, 2.2 million people are locked up. And what we know is that 90% of the people that we lock up will be released. Mm -hmm. And until we change the way that we, and I think we will, the way that we lock people up, the way we arrest people, you know, the type of punishments that, that we put on folks, often because they're poor, you know? Yeah, made some bad decisions, but the reasons for bad decisions are oftentimes rooted in poverty. And so until that changes, you know, we want to be an option for people um, returning from prison. It would be great to to not have to have a business that is specifically designed for that population because it's no longer, you know, a national crisis. Mm-hmm. But but it is still it remains an unmet need and so we plan to be there for folks until it's no longer needed. In this episode, we covered the many lessons that Brenda learned while turning Sweet Beginnings into a viable social enterprise. From the importance of good legal counsel to the logistics of managing distribution to store shelves. This is the sixth and final episode of this series of Inside Sweet Beginnings. We're so grateful you've joined us, and we hope you learned something that you can apply to your own social impact work. To listen to previous episodes or to send us a note, please visit our podcast landing page at blog.belovebuzz.com. Thanks for listening, and be well. Thank you.